Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. G'day, this is Better Than Yesterday, the Wednesday edition, Better Make It Quick, where we go through the back catalogue and have a bit of a listen to an episode from the past that you might have missed. And uh, here's just a little taste may think about listening to the full conversation. In uh, 2021, oh, sorry, I'm Osher, by the way. Hi, if you're first time listening, g'day. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, I'm Osher. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a, a gym go-to guy. Um, what else am I? I'm a, a echoey apartment packer-upper, which uh, I have to do because I'm going to move out of here in a day or two. I better start packing now because I'm not going to make it if I don't. And um, I'm here with you three times a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays because that's what we do here. Better than yesterday. We make it better. Having conversations that make it better since 2013. I'm glad you're a part of it. Now, in uh, 2021, we spoke with Simon Griffiths because when you're launching a company, you want to do something that gets everyone attention. And that is exactly what Simon Griffiths did. Simon Griffiths is the CEO and co founder of Who Gives a Crap? Yes. We've been wiping our bums quite proudly with Who Gives a Crap at our house for many years now. When he launched Who Gives a Crap, Simon live-streamed himself sitting on a toilet non-stop for 50 straight hours until he had pre-sold all of his first initial order of Who Gives a Crap toilet paper, $50,000 worth of toilet paper. So with that in mind, let's revisit my conversation with Simon from 2021. He is the engineer and economist who had a bit of a moment, an oh, oh moment, to sell toilet paper but not ordinary toilet paper. It's good looking, it feels good. It's forest friendly toilet paper. And who gives a crap? Donate 50% of their profits to help build toilets for those in need. So where did it all begin? What was Simon's first toilet memory? One of the the weird things, actually, I've never said this out loud. One of the weird things is that one of my very first memories is being potty trained. <laughs> and I remember sitting on like a, a potty. So that's probably like my very first toilet ever. Did you have the song? Because a lot of times people sing a song for the kid. 
Yeah, I don't think so. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I can't remember. But I must have been, I remember um, my family's all British and we moved to Australia when I was four. And this is from, uh, you know, memory from a house in England. So I must have been, you know, like two and a half, three or something. Wow. Yeah, so I can't remember the song. I just remember that that potty. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, after that, yeah, my first toilet, I guess. Um, Toilets have come a long way, man, because, I mean, I'm a little older than you, but there were still some pretty scary toilets going around when we were kids. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think what's interesting is like the potty as well. That's that's a, a Western concept. You know, that's not, it doesn't exist so much in a lot of parts of the world. And that means that kids often go outside and kind of squat down outside and, you know, baby poops actually got more pathogens in it than adult poop. So people kind of think it's quite innocent, but it's actually not such a good thing for, for kids to be doing that. <laughs> wow. So you're, uh, you know, we all kind of graduate, we get the little step ladder so we can get up on the big toilet. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is before soft closed toilets. So there were big, loud, frightening seats, perspex see-through seats with 50 cent pieces in them and weird seats that had cushions on them i never understood the cushiony seat man <laughs> what i mean what about in the uk what gets me is like the carpet right up to the toilet what is that about like, yeah do and you live even with like men the carpet that goes on top of the carpet that's like shaped to go around the toilet <laughs> i don't understand I mean, at least you can wash that but it still terrifies me yeah i've been in a couple of houses that have had the carpet right up to the edge of the toilet like come on people drink in the house and unless every man sits down to pee this is just a recipe for disaster yeah what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing the the story goes that you went for a bit of a travel and you had a bit of a look what was it that was the moment when you went hang on I grew up with something that not everybody has. That's probably a moment that a lot of people have when they spend a little, you know, even the smallest amount of time in the developing world usually. And I didn't think that that much of it at, at the start. And it was kind of, for me, the whole concept, everything we do is this very slow build over time of like assuming things are the way that they are and not really questioning it. And then after time sort of thinking about it and saying, hey, like what? why is it like that? Why does it need to be that way? And eventually coming around to this idea of maybe we can do it differently and maybe we can make things different for other people too. Because the numbers are quite staggering. We do take it for granted. I mean, we it's just what we as humans do. We assume that what we have is what everybody has. You know, it can get quite toxic and, you know, turn into privilege. And then, you know, when people in leadership positions go, well, of, well, of course, with negative gear, our third investment property, if everybody I know does it. Like, <laughs> that's, you know, because their immediate community, everyone around them, they have, you know, they don't, can't conceive that a life could be very different for others. But yeah. what does it do for, I mean, it, it's a simple toilet. It's a simple ability to eliminate the waste out of your body away from where you cook and eat. Yeah. When you can't do that, what does it do for your, expected outcomes, not only in health, but as far as job, education, safety? Yeah, I mean, it does, it does a lot and in a lot of different ways. And that starts from really young kids. So diarrhea-related disease is the second largest killer of kids under the age of five. That's pretty bad. That's like many hundreds of thousands of, of kids under the age of five that don't, don't get beyond five because of that every year. Um, so that's kind of where it starts at the beginning. And then I think, then you think about what's happening at school. So kids are sick. They're not able to go to school as much. 
teenage girls that don't have anywhere private to go to school. And so they're often missing a week of school a month because there's nowhere to go. And then that kind of goes into what's happening in the community, people potentially being afraid to like walk away from women in particular, afraid to walk away from their house to go from to the bathroom in the bushes. So there's a lot of kind of impacts there as well. And then in general, kind of healthiness and well-being, people are sick more often, so productivity suffers, people don't live as long, so economic prosperity suffers. So the health impacts are like really far-reaching for all ages, right through, you know, from infants right through to to much older people too. So it's really a big, big, big problem. <laughs> and one that when you've grown up with a toilet, you just don't think about. And how much of the the world are we talking about? Yeah, about 40% of the entire world. So over 2 billion people at this point that don't have access to adequate sanitation. And yeah, like, again, if if anyone who's spent a little bit of time in the developing world has probably been exposed to it and just sort of passed it off as barley belly or, you know, whatever, however kind of they want to think about it. But the reality is that that's every day for a very large chunk of the world. Yeah, there's a there's a name for it in every uh, in every country. There's the yeah. the what is it? Uh, the Montezuma's Revenge is what they call it in Mexico. Yeah. And <laughs> there's one in India that I can't remember, but that is staggering. Two billion people. Yeah, that's absolutely staggering. And what's the point? Now, I'm I'm guessing that there's a few levels. There's going out to the bushes to poo and pee, and then there's the kind of outhouse, like just a hole in the ground. Yep. And then there's the in-house, out-house where it's a bucket inside the house that you take outside to empty. Where's the level where things start to change? The outhouse is actually pretty good. Like that's that's where things start to get a lot better. The trick there is that, you know, you need to do water, sanitation and hygiene education all at the same time. Because if you've got an outhouse, but you're not washing your hands, then you're about as 10th as effective as when you do all three of those things together. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you really need to kind of do what's called wash. So water, sanitation, and hygiene education altogether. And when you do those three things, you're about 10 times as effective as when you just do any single one of them. Um, And so the outhouse is great, but you need to make sure that you've then got the ability for people to wash their hands, have access to clean water, and understand the importance of doing those things. And so a big challenge in some places is the education around like why people are getting sick and they think that it's come from a place that's entirely different to where it's actually coming from and so to break that kind of stigma and yeah really educate people is, is a big part of that whole process so do you think you'd remember the moment you knew that you really had achieved something spectacular do you think you could remember the exact day simon absolutely does we kind of had seen you know this run on toilet paper in hong kong and then singapore and then japan and we looked at it and gone wow like isn't that incredible? That would never happen in any of the markets we're in Australia, UK, USA. And then, you know, sure enough, the last couple of days of February, I remember it was over the weekend, like our sales were just like higher than what they should have been over a weekend. And I was looking at it going, oh, we're doing some really solid sales. And then I think we kind of hit like 2x sales. And then on the, the Monday, we hit 4x sales. And then on the Tuesday, we hit like 12 times what a regular day would be. And at that point, social media, we were just getting pounded by mentions and comments. And you could see like, because people were sharing photos of empty toilet paper shelves and everyone was going, where do I buy toilet paper? Our customers amazingly were saying, buy it from you gives a crap. They sell sustainable products and 50% of their profits get donated. Like, why would you buy toilet paper from anywhere else? And so we just had thousands and thousands of kind of 
social media mentions that kind of essentially sent us viral. And we, our traffic that day just shot like absolutely through the roof because we were probably the only place that people could reliably buy toilet paper at that point. And so I think at our peak, we were selling about 28 rolls of toilet paper every second, which, you know, on a regular day would actually make us a larger toilet paper seller than any of the major supermarkets. Wow. Like we were, we were really moving serious volume, which was incredible, but also creates this huge challenge because when we're selling that quickly, we don't have a good line of sight on our inventory and we're kind of relying on some assumptions around whether, you know, how much bamboo versus recycled we're selling. And if those assumptions are wrong, then we can sell out of product quite quickly. And so we kind of left it as long as we could. We woke up the next day on Wednesday morning and it looks like we're going to do like a 30 to 40 times day of sales. So, you know, more than a month in a day, which was just mind boggling. So we we said, we've got to turn it off because we've got subscribers and business customers who we promised to make sure they never run out of toilet paper again. We have to make sure that we can you know supply those guys through whatever happens next. And so we, we turned our website to sold out. We put on email sign up so that people could sign up and find out when we were back in stock. We thought we'd get you know a few thousand people signing up for that. We ended up with half a million people signing up to find out when we we're back in stock, which was incredible, but terrifying because we obviously couldn't email that whole email list and say, Hey, we're back in stock because we'd sell out straight away, regardless of how much product we had. And so I think our team at that point was like, you know, we're an online toilet paper company with a distributed team. So we're all working from home anyway. This is the moment that we've been training for, for like seven years. This is our time to shine. And if we dig deep now, we know that come June 30, with our big end of year donation, we're going to be able to have a massive amount of impact. And so our team got to work thinking, you know, how do we get toilet paper to the most people possible? And we basically ended up repacking our big 48 roll boxes into two 24 roll boxes to double the number of orders we could send out. We hired and trained 25 freelancers to help answer customer inquiries, which tripled the volume of customer inquiries we could deal with. And we basically worked with our warehouses to figure out what the maximum limit of orders they could send every day was. And then we slowly emailed just enough people to take the warehouses to their limit every single day for six weeks. And that got us through that in the end, like over 600,000 people on, on this waiting list, which was amazing, but exhausting. Like the team was just totally knackered by the end of it. And we, we kind of worked a lot of late nights. We broke like our inventory management system. It's linked to Shopify. We were pinging the Shopify API too many times in a minute that it just couldn't, like it stopped working and it would shut off. And so none of the orders were flowing through our system. And we had to like solve all these problems on the fly to yeah, make sure that we were shipping products. But who would have thought like once in a lifetime moment, toilet paper is the hot product of 2020. No one could have forecast it, but it actually makes sense when you dig into why did this happen? It's pretty interesting. So what happens is the toilet paper market, there's the at-home market, and the away from home market, like offices, you know, schools and the away from home product, when you think about it is pretty crappy quality. It's like one ply. It's not very nice. So that has a different distribution system. It relies on, you know, salespeople selling to businesses, whereas the at home product is entirely different. It's, you know, fluffy, usually like two or three ply and it's sold through supermarkets. And so people realized they weren't going to be in offices anymore. So they needed to buy more for their homes. And typically, you know, those two markets are roughly the same size. And so when all of the away from home market dries up, everyone starts buying more for their use at home from supermarkets. And so supermarkets 
run out because demand spikes. And then once they run out, there's empty shelves, people take photos of it, they you know, post it on social media. And this product that has previously always been a commodity becomes a scarcity. And now people are fearful that they will no longer be able to buy you know, what is a necessity in their eyes. And so if something goes from a commodity to being a highly in-demand product, the rational thing to do is to buy whatever's left. <laughs> you know? And so that's what creates this vicious cycle, which you know, started from a rational place of, hey, I'm not going to be at the office, I need more at home, and eventually becomes, you know, this vicious cycle of, oh my God, there's no toilet paper, I have to buy it when I see it, because that's the rational thing to do when there's a scarce item. So it's pretty crazy. But the the kind of missing piece of the puzzle there is that you can't redistribute the away from home products into the at home market, because the distribution channels aren't set up, and they don't talk to each other, those two markets very easily. And the machines that produce the crappy one-ply stuff, they can't produce the fluffy three-ply stuff. And so you can't just retool and move all of your production volume over to that at-home stuff. And so that's why it took months for it to settle down because you have to like slowly tool up and release more volume into the market. And in our case, you know, we ramped production up to 200%. So we were producing twice as much as what we had before and just trying to get it out to people as quick as we could. We're back in a moment with Simon Griffiths, the uh, CEO and co-founder of Who Gives a Crap. This is Better Make It Quick. We do have to play some ads, but we're back with some more toilet paper wisdom from Simon. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Better Make It Quick, the Wednesday edition of Better Than Yesterday, where we take a little slice of a, or a single sheet, if you will, from the long roll of podcast hosts, podcast guests, I should say. Uh, and today we're listening to the time when Simon Griffiths came to visit. And he's fantastic. Simon's the CEO and co-founder who gives a crap, a, a brilliant toilet paper company. Uh, we use them. We've been using it for years. They're, they're brilliant. And I wanted to know, Simon, how does he, who works in the toilet paper industry, how does he feel about poo? Does he know why people are afraid to talk about it? I guess it's conditioning, right? Like we're brought up to believe that it's icky and, and gross. And honestly, like it wasn't until I became a parent that I, you know, started talking more about poo because that's just part of being a parent. You know what I mean? And I run a toilet paper company. So like of everyone, I should probably be talking about poo more than anyone else. <laughs> but I think it is, yeah, it's a great question. I'd love to know the origins of that and why it's so tricky. Yeah. But there's definitely, you know, there are societies that 
think about that really differently. You know, in, in Germany, there's kind of this ledge on the toilet where people can inspect what they've done before they flush it away. And that's a way of staying healthy. I think in Japan, that's like quite common practice as well. So it's definitely, you know, it varies a lot from country to country. And you think about America where people don't even use the word toilet and it's completely different again over there compared to what it is over here. Yeah. So I'd love to, I think that'd be really interesting to kind of try and understand that and study it a bit more. I remember the first time I was in the Netherlands and I went, I, I, I sat on one of those toilets. It's got the, the ledge and I did not know what it was on about. And then it's like, oh, right, it is. <laughs> like, oh, right, there's carrot and then there's corn and there's, oh, okay. Oh, maybe I need to, that doesn't look good. You know, because it's 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 instant feedback as to how healthy you are, and and yeah. it's the great leveler. You know, you, we see Scott Morrison on the news on the every single day going, "I won't be taking questions at this time." But let's be honest, two and a half hours ago, Scott Morrison was sitting on the toilet flicking through his phone like you and me. Uh, there's no <laughs> doubt. Every single person you see on the telly, they poo. There's a book. There's a kids' yeah. book. Everybody poops. It's amazing. <laughs> that was honestly when I before I worked for myself when I did job interviews. Whenever I got nervous, I'd always think, you know everybody poops like this person has also been to the toilet today and that for me was always the great equalizer that helps me like regain my nerves <laughs> it's just a human they're just a human like you and me and i think it was the dalai lama the his holiness the 14th dalai lama who said when it comes to humans I don't know what, i'm paraphrasing here but he's got this great quote you should find it and put it on your roll he said if if you really want to think about it the only thing humans actually create is poo that's the only thing we really create it's <laughs> true it's what we make. Our bodies make it. There you go. There it is. Yeah, we should. We've 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 got like a mobile site, so when people are bored on the loo, they can jump on our site, and it's got lots of fun toilet facts. So I'll add that one in there. <laughs> you should go find it. We've got a great book at home. One of our mates, she's a zoologist, and um, she wrote a book called "Who's Poo Are You," and it's yeah. a, it's a way to tell which native animals have been around um, by looking at the poo, um, and awesome. it's great. It's really, really yeah. great. It's how we found that. out that there was a brush tail and a ring tail possum in our backyard. Oh, really? Yeah. So they have different. They have different poop. Different wow. poop. The one I love is the the wombat. Are you across this? This is amazing. The intestinal tract of the wombat has like a ribbed kind of shape to it, which pr- produces a square poop. And that was this massive inspiration for how to produce square objects on production lines because no one had been able to figure out how to make a square object from soft material in an efficient way until they studied the wombat intestinal tract and were like, oh my God, this has got a huge application in production. So yeah, there you go. I did not know that part, but the other thing I love about the the cubic wombat poop is that the wombat will only poop on a rock or a log. It will perch itself up. (laughs) And poop, it won't poop on the flat ground. It'll poop, perch itself up on a rock or a log. Amazing. <laughs> I guess it's so the poops don't, I don't know. You know, but when you're Australia. a burrowing animal, wombat wants to know, you don't poop where you eat. No animal poops where they eat, you know, uh, except humans in desperate situations, <laughs> which I think is what, uh, what this whole thing's about. How can we, uh, as Australians with, you know, with flushing toilets, how can we think about what impact it does have when we go to the toilet. How can we think about that a little differently uh, going forward? To me, that's like this big question around how can we think about the small actions that we take in everyday life a little bit differently. And so I think it's not just about going to the toilet, it's about what we're buying at the supermarket, which brands we're putting our money behind. And particularly now, like in the internet age, there's more choice than ever. And so we can, we can vote 
with our dollars more than ever before because there's thousands, ten, you know, millions of new brands that are out there that didn't exist 10 years ago thanks to the internet. And so for me, that's about being just slightly more conscious with the everyday decisions that we make because we have that opportunity now in front of us. And if we do that, then these small brands like us, like where we were six, seven years ago, they're going to become the new big bands that one day be in place of the Kimberly Clarks and will be the norm. And so I feel like we have a responsibility as consumers to go out there and find these new cool products that align more closely with our, with our values and our ethics. And if we do that, then the world's going to be an incredible place. There's usually a case in economics where the incumbent players, and you mentioned one then, Kimberly Clark, the incumbent players, they feel this you know, it becomes an economic choice rather than a moral choice. They see their market shares getting eroded away and they look down the chain and they go, where's that 5% going? We missed that 5%. What's that product doing? Oh, hey, Jenkins, go and make one out of bamboo. <laughs> How does it make you feel that that is going to start to happen as you grow, as you start to chomp market share away from these massive players? How does it make you feel that they will probably copy you? Excited. That's amazing if that happens. You know, we think about the impact that we can have as a business. You know, obviously there's kind of the donations that we have, there's the impact that we can have on our team, but a big part of it's the impact that we can have on other businesses. And so that's going to be businesses in our category. If they change because of what we're doing, what a massive win. You know, if someone who's got 40% market share changes their entire product range because of us, a tiny little company, like that's more impact than we'll be able to have by ourselves in the next you know, five or 10 years or whatever that looks like. But on top of that, we want to show that business models like ours can be successful because we believe we can solve this sanitation problem. But there's a lot of other problems out there that our business will never touch. But if we can show that our business can be successful both on the kind of impact side and also on the financial return side, then we'll get more entrepreneurs and more investors creating businesses like ours that will go out and tackle those other problems. And so that's kind of you know what we talk about as being good influence in our business. And we want to be able to influence both with the incumbents, but also new startups and, and incumbents in other categories as well. If you want to hear that full conversation, it's well worth it. Uh, Simon Griffiths is the guest the impact of who gives a crap globally is pretty astounding to fathom. Uh, scroll back to episode 373 of the podcast feed and you can, you can get around it there. And it might just convince you to get some who gives a crap toilet paper. We use it and it's ace. We've been using it forever. We get their, we get their um, paper towels too. Comes in a big box, gets delivered. Brilliant. We're never out. Um, thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for listening to the show. If the show helped you, if it meant something to you, if you think you know someone that could get a kick out of it, hit share in the corner of your podcast app and send it off to someone. Take a photo of what you're looking at right now. Send it to me. Send us your email at gmail.com. I always love to see where you're listening, how you're listening. It's always nice. It's always lovely because otherwise I don't know. Do people? I know people listen, but where do they do it? How do they do it? Thanks very much to everyone that helped me make the show today. Uh, Andy Marr on audio and video post, Toe Hider on all the music, Abby Benner who produced this episode, and you for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. I'll see you Friday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 